Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. It's a new month, and we're starting out using this wonderful book of David Anderson's called Gracism. The little byline here is The Art of Inclusion. And for those of you who like to follow along or get a copy of our books, I just want to give you one little heads up. It is Reverend Dr. David Anderson, and so you will get a dose of Christianity here. And and that is a good thing. Excellent book, great writer. And when the author uses the word sin in your head, just translate that into just making a mistake, right? We have simply made a mistake. That's all that a sin is. And when you run across the term evil, just think about that as someone who is using God's principles in an unhealthy way. So let, let's not get carried over and just uh, you know disregard this excellent book uh, because of those couple of concepts. And you will be fine. It's a fabulous book. And in fact, that's where I want to start. I want to read uh, part of the introduction here. And I think it will set the tone both for the idea of inclusion and it'll set the tone for the author here. So excited about my opportunity to serve as intern at Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, I was looking forward to my first day on the job. After three years of Bible education in downtown Chicago at Moody Bible Institute and two years of urban pastoral ministry in Cabrini Green, a poor black neighborhood replete with high-rise apartments fencing in humans like rats in a cage, I was now about to enter a completely different experience. As a tall African-American male, my new reality as a Willow employee placed me in a suburban context among a sea of white people. This context included beautifully designed mansions, shiny luxury vehicles occupying multiple garages. It was a far cry from the uh, urine-stained elevators and graffiti-ridden projects at Cabrini. Now, I wasn't raised in either extreme. I didn't come from wealth or poverty. Both of my parents worked full-time jobs outside the home, but made it home each night by dinner time, where we all ate together. Our single-family home was a small brick Cape Cod. While I had grown up conscious of race and the differences that plague our country, both personally and systematically, I had never felt as powerless as I did on my first day as an interim at Willow. As I commuted to church that first morning in my rusted out blue Honda Civic, I noticed the blue lights flashing in my rear view mirror. A police officer was signaling me to pull over. With my hands in clear view, I gave the officer my license and registration. He went back to his vehicle. In a few moments, he returned to my driver's side window. He handed me my license. I was dismissed. Before you leave, sir, can you tell me why I was pulled over, I asked. The officer responded, you fit the description of someone we're looking for. Before that day was over, I had been stopped by four police officers. Three were male, one was female, all were white. What I experienced that day, of course, was racism. And what I envision is a world that can move from racism to graceism. Graceism, unlike racism, doesn't focus on race for negative purposes such as discrimination. 
Gracism focuses on race for the purpose of a positive ministry and service. When the grace of God can be communicated through the beauty of race, then you have gracism. My prayer is that this book will move God's people closer to achieving such a worthy vision. So I think we're going to have some fun this month, but I would also suggest that we're going to be open to our own vulnerabilities this month. We're going to be talking about issues of uh, white privilege. We're going to be talking about discrimination. We're going to be talking about how God actually looks in that sense of being colorblind at all people. And hopefully we're going to learn a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about what we can do in the world to uh, increase the level of inclusion, increase the level of comfort with talking about some of these issues. So first I want to talk about the dot experiment. So this was an experiment, a social experiment done by psychologists Oh, probably about 35 years ago, and it's, it's detailed in, in the book, but I'll, I'll give you the, the summary of it. So the idea was they had a group of college students, and they divided them into three groups, and one-third of the college student ended up with a red dot in the middle of their forward, uh, forehead. And those of you familiar with uh, East Indian tradition may recognize the, the idea of the bindi, which has some uh, uh, spiritual significance. But when the study was done, probably not all that people were familiar with that concept. And so here was a, a student that had a red dot in the middle of their forehead. Other students were given a clear dot, and it was very interesting. They were doing it with paint, and so when you got your clear dot, because you had observed the people getting the red dot, you just assumed that you had a red dot on your forehead as well, and then a third of the people were given no dots at all. And what they told the students was, well, you're all going to get paid for this, but there's a kicker. For those students who interview the best, you're going to get a big bonus, and so, of course, this, well, how, what do you mean interview the best? Well, the, the students who in this interview process are the most self-confident, the students who uh, answer questions the most clearly, the, the students that have a, a, a level of poise and respect, those will, will win the interview and they'll get a nice bonus. Guess what? The people with the red dot did the poorest in the interview. Perhaps surprisingly, the people who had, in essence, no dot, but they thought they had a dot, did almost as poorly in the interview. And the people with no dot, those were the ones, interview after interview, that would get the kicker prize, that would get the win. And so what the social psychologist learned through this is it's not just the discrimination against someone who looks different, right? That would have been the people with the red dots, and the interviewer might have thought to themselves, well, what's with this person in the red dot? You know, there's something different. I'm kind of, you know, may, you know, maybe there's something a little hinky or different going on here. You know, that could make sense that perhaps their scores in the interview were a little lower. But what about the people who didn't have the dot but thought they did? For them, it was their own fear of being discriminated about that got them the scores nearly as bad as the people with the dot. And then, of course, as we can imagine, the people who had no dot and no sense of a dot um, were the ones with the higher scores. They, for whatever reason, were more poised, more self-confident, more self-aware, do you see where I'm going with this? 
The idea of difference in the world, the idea of being different, whether it's visually different or different from the inside, how we feel about ourselves is significant out in the world. And I like this idea of the dots because I would like to suggest that everyone here probably has experienced dotism. Let me give you some examples. I mean, I, I know we have a diverse group in here, and so some of you can go, oh yeah, in fact, I was the one pulled over by the police because of the way I li-. I mean, I know some of you, the dotism is really uh, unavoidable. <laughs> but who here in the audience have felt singled out before for poor treatment, perhaps because they were a woman? Who here in the audience believes they've been singled out for poor treatment, maybe because of their age? Who here has been singled out for poor treatment because they had lots of children in tow with them? Who here in the audience has been singled out for bad treatment because they were too young? I think everyone here, if we look at some point in their lives, has probably been singled out for poor treatment by the way they were dressed, the kind of car that they drove, the color of their skin, their sex, their sexual preference, um, the way that they just kind of looked, their attitude, right? All of us have dots. And so I want you to think about that. In fact, that's going to be part of your homework, which I will explain later. But just realize that everyone at some point in our life is probably discriminated against for no good reason. And some of us get to experience that every single day. Let me talk about the definition of racism, first of all, as, uh, as told by um, David Anderson here. First of all, racism is speaking, acting, or thinking negatively about someone else based on their color, class, or culture. Okay. In Mysterial Stool, they tell us we shouldn't talk about things that haven't been resolved yet. And so I'm, I am breaking a rule of being a good minister today. Um, oh, all right. Well, all right. <laughs> Thank you for that. So many of you know that I have the uh, great pleasure of speaking once in a while in the Lake Oswego Church on Wednesday nights. And as it happens, my path through Lake Oswego goes right by the Safeway. And what I love about the Safeway there, at least on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock when I'm going by, sometimes I'm the only one in there. And it's kind of nice shopping in that kind of pleasant, bland music and things are laid out and not a lot of difficulty or trouble. And what I love about that Safeway store is, oh my gosh, they treat me like a king. Well, now keep in mind, I'm coming from Wednesday night church, right? So I look like this and maybe there aren't that many people at eight o'clock on Wednesday dressed in a nice business suit. And you know, they open lines for me and gosh, I just, I feel like a king. Do you see where I'm going with this? Some of you do, because what I'm describing is white privilege. And I gotta tell you, I was embarking on my career of white privilege at that Safeway store for about four years without realizing it. And this is where the shame starts welling up in me. It wasn't until one Wednesday night I'm there with my five or six items in my cart, 
The woman ahead in line is a Hispanic woman with a full cart of things. They open a new line for me, look right over the top of her, and move me into the new line. It took that level of obvious discrimination before I even realized how I have been treated well, unfairly well, for all of those years. And the shame, just like a, it, I, I gotta tell you, I was probably beat red realizing that I was playing into this, that I was part of this system. And so of course, I, you know, the Hispanic woman, I, I moved her ahead of me and we, we talked a little bit and I wanted to make sure I wasn't making things worse in my, my fumbling ways and she went ahead and after I checked out, I went up to the customer service desk and I said, I would like to speak to the manager if I could. Well, the manager was the one that had opened the line for me. <laughs> And so as best I could, I explained why I, even though it felt nice being honored and treated well, it should never come at the expense of someone else. And in particular, I felt there was perhaps a little profiling going on here, that they were somehow assuming something about me that should be true for everyone that walked in the door. And I was told, we like to treat our good customers well. And I realized there was not that ability for that store manager to get what I was talking about. Well, I had a huge awareness that day, and I gotta tell you, that is something of which I am no longer racist. I really pay attention in that way now, and I think you would all be proud of me. Since that day, well, I mean, I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to be kind of more vulnerable about this because the trouble with white privilege is we don't see it. When we're white, it's extended to us all the time, and unless something overt happens or unless you're really, really, really paying attention, it goes right over your head because you assume everyone is treated that nicely. You assume that everyone is given that level of, of affection and personal attention and largesse and sweetness and you would be wrong in that assumption. And so I wanna, what I want to talk about today, first of all, is the idea of awareness. Because, of course, we, we can't change things that we look over the top of or around and don't notice. So first of all, part of the idea this month through, uh, um, through the book that we're going to be using is that we're going to become more aware of fairness in the world, more aware of the idea that people aren't perhaps treated as well as we white Americans are and what we can do about that. But more than that, we're going to move into the idea of treating everyone as God treats us. And so the next thing I want to, uh, to talk about in terms of a definition is David Anderson's definition of grace. So we got his definition of racism. This is his definition of grace. Grace is the unmerited or natural favor of God on humankind in general. The unmerited or natural favor of God on all of humanity. And I have a joke to go with that. 
So a man dies and goes to heaven. Well, of course, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. Peter says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it in. You tell me all the good things you've done. I'll give you a certain number of points for each good deed, depending on how good it was. And when you reach 100 points, we've got the sweetest little place for you. Okay, the man says, kind of a little nervously. Well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I never cheated on her, not even in my heart. That's wonderful, says Peter. That's three points. (laughs) Three points, says the guy. Well, I attended church all my life, and I supported its ministry with my tithes and my services. I, I was an alderman. Terrific, says Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point, oh my gosh. Well, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city and I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. What about that? Fantastic. Two more points. (laughs) Two points. At this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is with God's good grace. Welcome, said St. Peter. God's grace is not based on our deeds, on our actions, on what color we are, on how we show up. God's grace is that extended hand to everyone simply because we exist, simply because our participation in this universe is so important for all of us that we should all get our line at Safeway. We should all get to move to the head of the queue. There should be a a personal shopper for all of us, right? Some of the things that we think of as, as little niceties of life that some people have and some people don't have, God would say, all of us are extended that hand of love, of joy, of, of abundance, of inclusion. And gracism is about extending that hand. So now let me give you the definition from, uh, from David Anderson of gracism. Gracism is a positive extension of favor on other humans based on color, class, or culture. So it's almost in a way, it's going the other way. It's extending that hand. It's acting on behalf of God to some of the peoples and cultures who maybe have been treated poorly. Now, you might say to me, and in fact, this harkens back a few months ago, we talked about the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And I remember we got into some, uh, some good conversation around the idea, well, don't all lives matter? Why, why are we singling out African Americans? Why uniquely should we be Uh, speaking up for, celebrating, and talking about this idea of Black Lives Matter. And if you'll remember, the reason is because for so long, the the, kind of general white industrial complex have said, Black lives don't matter. You know, any number of of reasons why African Americans in America are treated poorly and discrimination and so on. It isn't that we actually believe some people are more deserving or that their lives matter. What we're trying to do is to make up for the fact that systematically we have said black lives don't matter. It's time to put an end of that. And so by all means, let's highlight this as an idea as part of our healing process. Let's embrace what maybe we're afraid to talk about, you know? Let's 
perhaps begin speaking about race relations and the, the honoring of one another on this planet where before we've been too shy to just allowing bad things to happen. Now, I have to own up to my bit of racism, right? It, it, what went on in that Safeway store for months and months and months. That's a part of just the system that white people and uh, people of color work in. To some of us, it works in our favor, and to some of us, it doesn't. And it's time to change that. You know, one of the things that's up for everyone right now is kind of our political climate and, uh, and policies that are being put into place or some policies that are being rolled back. And some of it has to do with economics and some of it has to do with, uh, with social mechanisms going on and the way immigrants are treated and so on and so forth. And I got to think that part of the reason that this is going on is we have a heck of a lot of healing to do. Part of the reason that this is up in such a graphic way is we're seeing us in the line at the Safeway store and it's time for us to do something about it. The time has passed for us to just sit complacently and hope that someone in Washington will take care of the issues. It's time for us to stand for something. It's time for us to go out of our way to make a difference in the small avenues with which we have access to because that's where it really happens, you know? On the big scale, we took care of civil rights back in the civil rights era, but did we? See, there's the trouble. We passed some laws. We made discrimination illegal, but systematically, in our hearts and in our, our personal policies, we've allowed it to continue. Maybe not as blatantly, but we have nevertheless allowed it to continue. So the rest of this month, we're going to get some tips and techniques of how we extend a hand of freedom and love to people who are different than us. For the rest of this month, we'll be getting some greater clues, especially for us who are white, around how we need to look at things differently to step up to our level of participation in terms of true equality on the planet. I think we're going to have some fun, but also I recognize this may be uncomfortable for some of us. I got to tell you, I am not a perfect person. As much as so many of you love me and maybe put me up on a pedestal, <laughs> oh my gosh, that pedestal gets shorter and shorter by the minute when reality comes out. And so even as I invite you to say, Larry, you could have handled that a little better, the way you chose to talk about that, even, in the, even out of your love, came out in a way as slightly racist. I'm up for it. Call me on my stuff. I can't be any more transparent or loving than that. I'm not a perfect person, but I am perfectly willing to go out on a limb about this because it is important. The United States can no longer afford to move forward in its ignorance of bias, of race trouble, of not having equality for everyone. We simply can't, we can't afford it in our hearts. We can't afford it economically. We can't afford it as living part of, of God's universe. 
It simply cannot be tolerated anymore. So we've got to learn about it. We've got to be willing to talk about it. We've got to be willing in a loving and gentle way to call Larry and each other on our stuff because that is the only way it's going to happen. That's the only way I think that we're actually going to make some traction on this. It's up to be healed. Let's heal it. So are you with me in this? Are we, we willing to? Thank you. Because we may have a few moments of uncomfortability. All right. So you're probably wondering what your homework is this week. You know, it's simple. I want to go back to the beginning and talk about the dots again. Because I don't think it will be as much of interest to us unless we get at least a touch of feeling of what it is to be discriminated against. So this exercise is perhaps predominantly for our whites here today. But pick a time when you have felt discriminated against, whether it's because of how short you are or your weight or the color of your hair or the color of your skin, whether it was you felt you were denied a job because you were too old or, or from, I don't know, you were dressed wrong. Um, pick a time in your life when you felt discriminated against. And I would in, like, and I know this sounds negative, but I would like you to just feel throughout the week of what that might be like if you felt it every day. So maybe build it into your daily spiritual practice. Remember that time when I was turned down on a loan because I was perceived as being unreliable. Or remember that time when I was um, looked over for a promotion because I was seen as being a woman and this was primarily a man's job. Whatever it is, I think all of us have experienced the red dot around something. And this week I would simply like you to feel that. Because that is what around 10 to 20% of America feels like every day. I'm going to close with a final quote from chapter 2 of this book that we're using. He says, A gracist reaches across ethnic lines and racial borders to lend assistance, to lend extra grace to those who are different, who are on the fringe or who have been marginalized. The person or group can be of any color, culture, or gender. Are you a gracist? The heart of a gracist extends a helping hand to those who are outside the positive norms of a particular society. While the majority may enjoy the hidden rules of their group, gracists build a bridge of inclusion for them. Just as God reaches out to everyone so we can minister to those who are desperate for someone to hear them and someone to hear their voice. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is this, this thing, this eternal and, uh, and all-inclusive thing that I call God. That God of all colors, all, all uh, inclusivity. That God that makes up every person, every place, everything, every situation on this planet. That God where nothing is excluded, it simply is all God. And I know that means me. I know that it means I am simply one thread in that rich tapestry of life made up of the millions and billions of threads of life on this planet. Each one essential each one just as important, each one contributing to that rich fabric of life. 
that's me, and that's also you. Each person here playing that ever so important part of life itself. And for this, I am grateful. For this, I simply recognize that unity in all things, in all people, in God itself. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Glad you're here today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.